What would you say is your favorite part about this particular week of the year, this week between Christmas and New Year's? Uh, that it marks the end of another year, that in this case, basically 2021 is in the rearview mirror, and you're glad because either it was a good year and you have lots of good memories, or it was a rough year and you're just glad to see it come to an end. Actually, it's probably a combination of the two. Or is your favorite part about this week that we're on the threshold of 2022, the beginning of a new year, and that fresh start excites you? Well, in this Discover the Word podcast, Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day are going to have some conversations for New Year's called The End and the Beginning. We're going to be studying a psalm together that's a key part of the Jewish New Year's festival of Rosh Hashanah. Helpful perspective as we think about the end and the beginning on the Discover the Word podcast. Great to have you here. Glad to have you as part of this small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Because normally at this time of year, we spend some time thinking and reflecting back on the past 12 months and the good and the bad of what happened over the course of the year. And then we also spend some time thinking about the year ahead and what 2022 holds, usually with some optimism and maybe some angst and anxiety as well. And our hope is that having this psalm be part of our discussions will provide some needed perspective for the end and the beginning because that's where we are this week. So let's pull our chairs up to the table or actually join the Zoom call and get our last podcast for 2021 underway. Now Bill is leading and he asks Elisa and Mart and Daniel this question. Do you have any New Year's traditions not really, honestly. Although back when my family and I lived in Colorado, we really enjoyed watching New Year's, the ball drop in New York at 10 in yep. Colorado <laughs> yep. and then going to <laughs> Sounds bed. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I haven't seen the ball drop in years and years either, you know? You guys are on the it, East it's Coast. It's kind of the time yeah. to get rid of the old poinsettias about New Year's, <laughs> <laughs> the end of the Christmas decor. Oh, exactly. You know, I grew up in the South, and there was a tradition of eating black-eyed peas on New Year's Day. It was something about luck. I have no idea. I really never looked it up. And, you know, I used to panic if we didn't have a can of black-eyed peas in the cupboard. But, you know, I, I haven't done that in years, so I mm. confess. <laughs> and for me, too, like, it's birthday eve for me. On New oh, that's Year's, right, Daniel. Right? Yeah. So I'm more focused on January 2nd than January 1st, <laughs> too. When I was growing up, we had a tradition, not black-eyed peas, but it was cabbage. Oh. You'd eat cabbage, and Mom and Dad would put coins in it. Put what? Coins. Trying to choke you? <laughs> yeah. Well, it. you know, the whole idea was you were hoping to get a quarter or a couple of quarters or something. I usually only got pennies. New Year's traditions don't seem to have as much play in our culture, as Christmas traditions do, mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. But on the Jewish calendar, New Year's is called Rosh Hashanah, and it has some really interesting traditions that might help us as we move toward New Year's and the start of another year. And Rosh Hashanah is the first of the fall festivals. Some of them are in the spring, the rest are in the fall. Rosh Hashanah comes first, and it's also called the Feast of Trumpets, so Rosh Hashanah is not celebrated on New Year's 
day or New Year's Eve. It's celebrated in the fall, correct? Well, you, here's where it gets really fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's three New Years okay. in Israel. There's the calendar New Year mm-hmm. on January 1st. There is the ecclesiastical New Year, which comes in the spring with Passover in the month of Nisan. And then there's the civil New Year, which comes in the fall with Rosh Hashanah. So you can kind of pick your own New Year if you want. Start over a lot of times. Okay, so back to the trumpets. Yeah, it's uh, called the Feast of Trumpets because the trumpets are blown in anticipation of the starting of the new year. Now, when I say trumpet, what do you think of? Something that's made out of brass or silver and has three valves. Yeah. But that's not what they would have used, is it? No. When they talked about trumpets, what were they talking about? A shofar. Which would be a ram's horn, right? Yeah, a ram's horn. They would blow the ram's horn. Now, have you ever tried to blow one of those crazy ram's horns? Yeah, it's hard. And you think, whoever first thought of this, you know, putting your lips to a detached ram's horn, okay? And if you get a sound, it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird sound, but that's what they used at worship times, at festival times. What would happen is, for the whole month leading up to New Year's, the trumpet would blow every morning, and we'll talk about why that is. And then on the day before New Year's, to launch the New Year's, the trumpets would blow after Psalm 47 had been read. Hmm. So there's something about Psalm 47 that the Jewish rabbis thought was a really good way to lead into the New Year because not only was it read, it was read seven times before the trumpets blew. So they would read Psalm 47 seven times, then the trumpets would blow and it would announce the start of the new year. And then 10 days later would come Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So there's a lot going on here. But when you think about the Jewish rabbis picking out of 150 Psalms, this one to launch the new year, it makes me kind of wonder if we might be able to find some stuff that can help us as we get into our new year. So, Daniel, would you read the superscription to Psalm 47 for us? Sure. To the leader of the Korahites, a psalm. Okay. Now, Elisa, would you read it in your translation? Sure. Mine says, for the director of music of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Yeah. The Sons of Korah is an interesting bunch. Uh, Do you have any familiarity with the name Korah from the Old Testament? Yeah, it's not a good story. Korah leads a rebellion, and as a result, things do not go well for his family. Mm -hmm. Like the whole earth opens up, right? Yeah, it was a really striking moment. The earth opened up and swallowed all these guys that were rebelling against Moses' leadership is going all the way back into the book of Exodus. Mm. However, even though the name Korah had quite a stigma attached to it, some of his descendants, the word sons here doesn't necessarily mean offspring, it means descendants, and some of his descendants became songwriters. Yeah. And they would write hymns or psalms that could be used in worship. And this is actually one of 12 psalms that are attributed to the sons of Korah. So there's kind of a little bit of a redemptive thing there, isn't there? (laughs) That uh, even though their ancestor had 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 a pretty bad thing that he had created, out of that comes some guys that are really committed to worship. So you're wondering if they're trying to redeem the family line. Is that the idea? Or they've been sensitized 
to the problem of the of the father, right? Yeah, I think that there are some scholars who think that that may have been happening, that they're trying to to win the family name back. And hmm. I would say that if that is true, then apparently it was successful because in capturing the Psalms, they allowed that name to be attached to them in spite of its history. Hmm. Now, the reason some think that the Psalm is read seven times before the trumpet blows for Rosh Hashanah is because the name Elohim appears seven times in the Psalm. Elohim is one of the Old Testament names for God, but it's not the one we normally find in the Psalms. What do we normally find? Well, there's Yahweh, right? Right. And then there are combinations of Yahweh mm. with other characteristics, descriptions of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, for instance, Adonai and the letters from Yahweh combined for Jehovah. Mm-hmm. And if you take, for instance, what Mart's saying with Yahweh, Jehovah, and you add to it Jireh, it is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of these names, and then we have a lot of these descriptive titles. But in this set of psalms, these Elohistic psalms, the focus is on the name Elohim. It's really the oldest of the names of God in the Bible, isn't it? Mm. Well, it really is. It's the name that appears in Genesis 1 to describe the God of creation and so forth. Not only is it the oldest name, but it was a safe name because Yahweh, you weren't really allowed to pronounce. It was the Mm. unpronounceable, unspeakable name, right? Yeah. One more thing about the psalm, and then I'd like for us to read it together. And as we're reading it together, I want you to think about what about this psalm could make it good for New Year's. But before we do, there's another element to this psalm. Not only is it an Elohistic psalm and a psalm of Korah, It's also an enthronement psalm. There are seven enthronement psalms in the book of Psalms. And this is going to be really important because it's a song that celebrates the king taking his throne. And in Israel's eyes, the king is God. What do you mean the king is God? Well, in Israel, they viewed the nation as a theocracy where God was king. And so even when they had human kings, it was really only a vassal king taking the place of the one true king who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, so they're not talking about David or Solomon or... No, no. this is an enthronement psalm that anticipates God physically taking the throne of Israel at some time. Okay. And we'll kind of get into that a little bit because I think it's a really interesting and important thing for us as people of the cross and the empty tomb to consider. So just um, to get us fully invested in Psalm 47... Let's read it all the way through. It's only nine verses, so we can do this. And as you read through it, listen again for things that might make this one that's good for launching into a new year. See if you can find those things. So, Mart, you want to start us off? Okay, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. 
it doesn't really seem on the surface of it that there's a whole lot of New Year's in there. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to suggest that it's worth digging into and finding out if maybe those rabbis were onto something after all. As we make our way toward the start of a new year, I'm wondering, do you find yourself reflecting more on the past year or looking forward in anticipation to the coming year? I think reflecting more on the past for Hmm. me. Yeah. During that time of year, you know, if you watch television, all you get a lot of recaps, a Mm. lot of summaries of of past events, people that have passed uh, Mm -hmm. crises in the nation or the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And um, I think I do look back. I look forward as well. Evan has a practice. My husband, Evan, has a practice of selecting a word for the new year. And he'll focus in on that word and just prayerfully consider what God might be doing in and around and through him, where that word focuses. And so that's kind of interesting. He journals about it and begins to kind of walk toward that word and what God might want to do. Elisa, is it a word that he's impressed with or or what brings that word into his life? Yeah, it's a great question, Martin. He prays about it. You know, sometimes this word, I think had been healing. Another word had been watch. Another word had been perspective. And it's just a season of where he feels like the Lord is directing him and growing him. Okay. Okay. That's good. I think for me, it's a little bit of both. I think there's always like a little bit of a time that I'll spend with uh, Rebecca or with friends or something thinking about you know, what has occurred in the year, maybe some highlights or lowlights. But I think also there's there's something so joy-filled too about fresh starts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we really need those more than others. And so I think that's kind of the time of year that I tend to think about that too. What are some areas that need a fresh start? Mm-hmm. Okay, so in a personal way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you consider stepping into a new year in one sense, What's the big deal? I mean, you know, you're turning a page on a calendar, but nothing really changes substantially. Mm-hmm. It's not like if I've been ill, all of a sudden I'm going to be well because it's January 1. Or if I've had financial problems, suddenly those are going to clear up because we've started a new year. Realistically speaking, nothing changes. But like Daniel says, there's something about this sense of a fresh start that gives you a new wind to try to face whatever challenges you've got going in. We started yesterday talking about Psalm 47 as a part of the Jewish New Year celebration of Rosh Hashanah to launch the civil New Year, one of three New Years that they have in modern Israel now. And we talked about that in our last program. And I like the way you ended the last program, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) And how was that? (laughs) Had something to do with why in the world would they have chosen this psalm (laughs) to begin the new year, right? Yeah. it's Psalm 47 does not seem to actually be screaming out New Year. (laughs) Bill, to get a jump on that, though, we have to remember there are a couple of big festivals following yeah, Rosh Hashanah, that's right. right? The Day of that's Atonement right. and then the Day of Tabernacles. Yeah, the Feast of Tabernacles. Yeah. And actually, Rosh Hashanah is connected to Yom Kippur, to the Day of Atonement. And here's where I really want us to see if we can find something in the first couple of verses of Psalm 47 that back this up. Because the month of Elul, E-L-U-L, leads up to the new year. And every morning of that entire month, a trumpet would blow. 
the intent was to awake the listeners out of their slumbers hmm. and to reflect on their lives. And it would lead up to this 10-day period of repentance hmm. before Yom Kippur. So there is a connection in some ways to a new beginning, perhaps, yeah. that way. Mm-hmm. But to them, the new beginning was not just reflecting on events mm-hmm. or circumstances or highs and lows. It was on what have I done mm-hmm. in my life that I need to repent of and get mm-hmm. right with God. And so every morning the trumpets blow. Then you have Psalm 47 read seven times. Then you have the trumpet blow to launch the new year. Then comes what they call the days of awe. Hmm where the people then examine their lives and deal with repentance Hmm. leading up to Yom Kippur for the Day of Atonement. Now, a part of that is Erev Yom Kippur. Erev Yom Kippur is kind of like Yom Kippur Eve. It's the day before Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, the people are made right with God through the Day of Atonement. But on Erev Yom Kippur, you're supposed to make yourself right with your neighbor. Because how can you be right with God if you're not right with your neighbor, Mm. is the thinking behind it. So that's how this was used liturgically. And I think when you think about the days of awe as a title for what they're getting ready to step into, maybe we can see some reason for that in Psalm 47, verses 1 and 2. So I'd like to hear it in a couple of different translations. Who'd like to give us a translation? Sure, I can start. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy, for the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Daniel, what do you have? Yeah, mine's really pretty similar. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy, for the Lord the Most High is awesome, a great King over all the earth. And Mark, what do you have? Okay, I've got, come everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King of all the earth. Okay, we heard in a couple of those translations the word awesome. So the concept of days of awe Mm. all of a sudden starts to line up, doesn't it? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I heard that. What are they in awe of? God. Yeah, like of his power, his might. There's an awareness of his justice, Mm -hmm. right? Like one of the things that this is a ancient peoples in an ancient time. So the word awesome is not like we use it today where it's like, dude, that is awesome. (laughs) It's much more of a a reverent amazement at like, Mm -hmm. this is the God that created you. So he could kill you, (laughs) right? Mm. Like he could wipe you out. Mm. And so there's an awe, a fear inspiring amazement at how powerful this God is. That's good. And how holy he is, Mm -hmm. how other Mm. than us. Yeah. Elisa and Danny, you're hearing then high thoughts, I mean, good thoughts, uh, mm-hmm. reflective and appropriate. Bill, what, what I wonder about, it seems like so much of their history was just the opposite. I mean, mm-hmm. so much of the Old Testament narrative mm-hmm. is the people not at their best, not thinking this way about God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that um, probably that's not just a problem for the ancient world. I think probably we struggle with that from time to time as well. Because I think any time God gives us what we want, we tend to think highly of him. And when he says no or wait to whatever we're Mm. praying about, we tend to not think so well of him, even if we might not voice it in the way that they did. I think this is a timeless human problem, remembering who God is, regardless of my circumstances at any Mm -hmm. moment in time. Because when he's not coming through 
for us. Mm-hmm. The tendency is to look somewhere else, right? That's right. Yeah. And they looked somewhere else <laughs> to the gods and nations, and that was part of what would bring problems in their relationship with their God and, and cause discipline to happen. I mean, the whole book of Judges is a cycle of that them departing to worship false gods and God having to bring discipline to pull them back. And so they have a history, you're exactly right, of not always thinking as highly of God as they should. Yeah, I was going to say, is there any way we can relate to this, Bill? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. absolutely. This is our story as well. Yeah. There's another thing here I'd like for us to think about, though. This is a Jewish psalm being sung in anticipation of a Jewish feast time. And yet, what's that first verse say again? Oh, clap your hands. And what else? All peoples or all nations. All nations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even though this is a Jewish psalm for a Jewish celebration, there's an invitation to the world to all the nations, to all the peoples, to come and be a part of celebrating this great God. Yeah, that surprised me when I read it the first time. Yeah, it almost echoes back to what Israel was supposed to be to the world. The mm-hmm. calling was to be a light, to be good news to all the mm-hmm. world. And yeah. it often wasn't. But that was what the original vision uh, of what Israel should be, is this uh, this people of God who the goodness that flows through them flows out to all peoples in the world. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because the Jewish people were so exclusivistic. And like you said, Daniel, that wasn't their mission. Their mission was to show the world what a relationship with the one true God looked like so that they would want that relationship as well. And they often failed at that. They often actually were more attracted to the gods of the nations than to the one true God that they were supposed to be representing. And I think that's why when you come into this days of awe period of time leading up to Yom Kippur, it's a good time to self-examine. It's a good time to take stock. A term that I remember hearing years ago was to do a personal spiritual inventory Hmm. and just kind of take stock of where am I? in my relationship with the Lord. He's who he is. Am I representing him in a way that's appropriate? And I like the focus on starting there, starting with God. He's Mm -hmm. who he is, you just said. You know, as we're doing a spiritual inventory or taking stock of where we are with God, how beautiful to start with him. We typically start with us. (laughs) When we start with us, you know, we have this veil between us and God. It's like, I can only see my good or my bad, but how wise to start. With him and who he is. And how freeing too, because Mm. oftentimes when we do start doing inventories of how we feel like we're doing or what's the status of our relationship with God, immediately, oftentimes shame follows, fear follows, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's not the God, right? Like he is awesome and powerful and mighty, Mm. but he's also this God that's described as patient and loving and kind and slow to anger. And oftentimes our response is to get pretty self-critical when we do that. But when we do start with God and look toward him, what we find is a God that doesn't put shame and fear on us when we find out that we don't measure up in the way that we want to, but is a God that comes near to us. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, um, as we launch into the new year, there's no reason why we can't spend some time reflecting reflecting on who our God is, reflecting on the past year and what has happened and how he has shown up and times when we've struggled with what seemed like his silence. 
And as we go into the new year, reflect on who our God is and where am I in my relationship with the Lord? Such a great reminder to reflect on God during this busy season and to maybe conduct a personal spiritual inventory. Uh, We all have plenty of things that need our attention, but our relationship with God should be at the top of that list. Well, this is Discover the Word with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. Our podcast for this last week of the year is titled The End and the Beginning. And when we continue, uh, they're going to talk about our tendency to focus on how big and overwhelming our problems and struggles are. And in a lot of ways, it's understandable that that's where we go. But Psalm 47 can help us turn our focus and our perspective in another direction. And we'll discover how in 60 seconds. Well, you often hear me say that Discover the Word is part of our Daily Bread Ministries. And uh, we also have a devotional that I'm not exaggerating when I say that millions around the world use for daily moments of reflection on God and His Word. I mean, when you're looking for it, you see it in so many places. I've seen the Daily Bread in churches and uh, doctor's offices, restaurants, car dealerships, basically anywhere with a waiting area. And I remember walking into a neighbor's house one time and noticing that it was right there on their kitchen table. And I also remember getting a ride one time from someone and I looked up and saw that a daily bread was clipped to his sun visor. Yeah, it's humbling to think about, but it's true that literally millions around the world each day use the Our Daily Bread. With compelling stories surrounding a specific Bible passage, this devotional provides spiritual nourishment and encouragement for each day. I think in the busyness of life, it's tough sometimes to find time to slow down and to focus on our relationship with God. But Our Daily Bread has helped so many develop an ongoing habit of spending time in Bible reading and prayer. So simply go to odb.org to discover all the ways you can read Our Daily Bread. Just go to odb for Our Daily Bread, odb.org. And now back to this New Year's conversation about the end and the beginning. When you're in the middle of a difficult situation, and all of us have been in those, some are in those right now, why is it so much harder to focus on how great our God is and we end up focusing more on how big the problem is? Because you can see the problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's right. And we can't see God most of the time. You know, eventually, if we learn to look for him, we might see traces of him. I just get overwhelmed sometimes by the particular problem that I'm excruciatingly going through. Mm. And it's so funny. I, I think about the Israelites where they're like, you know, where's our food? And every day there'd be manna. And then it's like, why can't we have meat? And it, it, we just have such short memories of mm. God's faithfulness so that when we enter into a, a new problem or a problem returns, I forget that God is able and that he's faithful. I just forget. Yeah. And I think, too, when we deal with the really big issues in our lives um, and maybe some of the small ones, too, those often are also times where doubts start to creep in for me because it's like, where is God right now? Like, is he real? Is he really here to help? Because Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like I would experience a problem like this if God was around. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the other side, too, is not only do the problems feel big, 
but God feels so small that we wonder if he's even there. Yeah. And isn't there a sense, if we just back up, Bill, out of this, when we ask those questions, we're supposed to, aren't we? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's part of the purpose of allowing problems, not only to give us freedom to be who we are, but also to give us an occasion to ask the kind of questions that really ultimately should bring us back to God. Hmm. Yeah. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about faith versus doubt. And I think what you're talking about, Mart and Daniel as well, is very similar to what he's saying, is that there's a direct correlation between having faith and experiencing doubt. If you didn't have any faith, there would be nothing to doubt. (laughs) And if you didn't have doubts, there'd be nothing to trust. (laughs) Yeah. Because one drives you to the other at times, Mm -hmm. depending on what our circumstances are. It's really interesting to me how each one of you really tried to get at a core issue in this, why do we not see God and all we see is a problem? And I can honestly tell you, when I'm facing a big challenge, I'm not very philosophical. I go into solution mode. Mm-hmm. I try to start figuring out how I can fix the problem. My first reaction to a problem is not necessarily to look to God at all. It's to say, okay, what do I have to do to fix this? Mm-hmm. And then when I fail to fix it, that's usually when I turn to God and say, okay, bail me out of this mess that I've... Oh, yeah, I need you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that the greatness of God gets lost either in doubt or in just the scale of problems that are so much bigger than we can handle, or sometimes in our own humanity and our desire to fix it in our own strength. And and we lose sight of how great God is. Now, the way Israel responded to that in their history was with psalms that were called salvation history psalms. Now, when we think of the word salvation, what do we think of? Redemption and eternal life through the death of Jesus, right? His rescue, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his mm-hmm. rescue of us from our failures, our sins, our wrongdoings, into relationship with the Father, into eternal life. That's what we think of. But when you hear the word salvation in the Old Testament, it's not talking about that kind of rescue, to use your word, Mark. It's talking about a time when God physically rescued them from an enemy of some kind. Mm-hmm. So the great salvation history Psalms of Israel all tend to deal with what event in Israel's past. The Exodus out of Egypt, so being rescued from slavery. Yeah, that was their touchstone moment in their national memory. The high point moment of salvation for them was the Exodus. So when they would face problems, they would point back to the Exodus. Once a year at Passover, they would remind themselves of the Exodus. Why? Because as they were facing problems all along, they were reminding themselves of the biggest problem they had ever faced and that God was more than enough Mm. to handle it. So the size of their God became the issue. And I'm speaking in kind of an idealistic way because we know that everybody in the nation didn't have high thoughts, low thoughts, all the same thing all the time. But there is this sense of God is greater. Mm -hmm. And here's how we know. Look at what he did in the past. Now, this Psalm 47 doesn't go specifically to the Exodus, but it does go to God's salvation history with his people. In our previous conversation, we read verses 1 and 2. I'd like for us to read those again this time, but then go ahead and pick up 3 and 4 and see if you hear the echoes of rescue in there. So Psalm 47, starting in verse 1, Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. 
for the Lord the Most High is awesome, a great king over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. Okay, now, just one little thing first, and then I want us to focus on the rescue element. The phrase, the pride of Jacob, or some translations put it, the glory of Jacob in verse 4, is a really interesting phrase because sometimes it's used to refer to the land, that this was the inheritance that God had given to them, and that's what Jacob, which is another name for Israel, took pride in. But that same phrase is used sometimes in the prophets, and it's used in a negative way, that the pride of Jacob was, because we've got this land, what do we need God for? We're independent now. And so the term, the pride of Jacob, either has a negative or a positive, depending on how it's being used. Hmm. And by recalling the name Jacob, that has all of its own baggage, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unpack some of that baggage. Jacob was a liar. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, he was all about Jacob. Yeah, he was a schemer. He was a manipulator. He used people for his own benefit. Yeah. And so Israel at its worst looks like Jacob. Looks like Jacob at his worst, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But in the end, Jacob had learned a lot, right? Yeah. In the end, he'd learned a lot, and he had learned to trust so that he didn't need to manipulate anymore because he had actually learned how to trust, which I think is part of the fascinating story of his life. But as we think about the pride of Jacob, they're in the land, they've been given the land. Now they come to the new year and they're celebrating the greatness of God by looking back over rescue. So where do you see the rescue here? In verse three, he subdued nations under us and peoples under our feet. Yeah. Now this is where things get sticky because The all nations and peoples of verse 1 that are being invited to celebrate Mm -hmm. include the peoples that were subdued under their feet in verse 3. That is confusing. What do you do with that, Bill? (laughs) (laughs) It's really an invitation to those who have been defeated by God to look up to him as being their source now Mm -hmm. of life and strength. Hang on to that word source, Mark, because I think that's really at the heart of the issue. Hmm. What impressions, Elisa and Daniel, are you getting on that all peoples and then peoples under our feet? Well, I am thinking about the fact that we're reading poetic literature, which I think matters. Hmm. So the way language is used in a poem is different than a history. Mm -hmm. And so this is a poetic description of rescue. And so words like subdued or under our feet, right? That's metaphorical Mm, type mm -hmm. language when it's used in this type of a context in a poem. Daniel, I'm not sure what you're getting at here because there were real historical events Mm -hmm. where the enemy was defeated. Absolutely. Some of those, right, were Israel's attacked first, Mm -hmm. right? And God rescues them. And we don't know exactly what they're referencing to here. There are others that aren't clear and simple like that, where it looks like Israel does the attacking, but we just don't have enough information in this particular verse to know what they're referencing at that point. Okay. And maybe I'm leaning into what both of you are saying. I would see clearly Israel is asked to recognize the rescue that God has provided for them. But in the same psalm, God is providing rescue for those who've been defeated. So Mm -hmm. that's where the all nations. So what's happening, and I'm seeing this, is a pop from in this new year, 
Israel is asked to celebrate the awesomeness of God and his rescue, but also they are asked to be a light so that all nations can see that they also can be rescued by this God. Yeah, I like that because my mind goes back to another time when it talked about all nations and all peoples, when it goes all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant, Mm. where the same Israel that God gave an inheritance to in the land is the Israel whose ultimate father, humanly, Abraham, was promised through you, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. Mm. So what you're doing, Elisa, is you're kind of moving us on that trajectory a little bit further down the road to see that, yes, this happened in history, like Mart said, but it was part of a process to bring about not just a salvation from slavery or a rescue from a nation or an attack or whatever, but an ultimate rescue that would come about through these very people that God had chosen and given an inheritance to. That ultimate rescue, salvation, that comes through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's part of why context matters so much, because when we get to verse 3 and we stub our toe, that comes after the beginning of the psalm that says somehow this is good news for all the nations. Yeah. Mm. And so somehow when we get to verse 3, if we're reading it and seeing it as bad news for the nations, then we're missing something. Yeah. And maybe it also helps us with the question you started with um, as we began this conversation is, you know, why do we focus on our problems rather than God? I think we can be very myopic about our rescue, (laughs) our rescue, and forget that God is really about the rescue of all people. That's what his focus is on. And as we lean into viewing problems from his perspective, they take a different shape. And I think this psalm can help with that. And that's another reason why Psalm 47 fits with where we are during this New Year's week. This is the Discover the Word podcast with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And by the way, if you haven't signed up to receive our weekly study guide emails, you're missing out. When you sign up, what you'll get is an email in your inbox every Monday from us that gets you ready for that week's podcast. There's a summary of what the study is about, discussion questions, a weekly challenge, and more. You can sign up for free right now at discovertheword.org. Scroll down to the email sign-up part of the page there at discovertheword.org. Well, as this episode of the podcast about the end and the beginning continues, we're going to discover how Psalm 47, thinking about a coronation and asking who's on the throne, can help us at this time of year. Coronation ceremonies are pretty remarkable events. If you've ever watched one on YouTube or something, they're very different from a presidential inauguration here in the States. Do you know any of those differences or can you remember any of those? Well, and to be honest, they are not common. And, you know, we don't really have any modern day um, examples. I mean, the most recent one I can remember and I wasn't even born yet, was when Queen Elizabeth was crowned way back in the late 40s, early 50s, somewhere in there. And, you know, it's very, very glamorously royal. And I think we get very infatuated. We can probably better relate to a royal wedding, but that's not your point. Your point is a coronation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the closest thing that we have to understanding coronations uh, are Netflix and Amazon 
Prime series where we could see coronations from the past, definitely for my generation. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I would know the difference except for like a presidential inauguration is for a set period of time and a coronation mm-hmm. is until the person dies. So that would mm. be a little different. Good and, point. And isn't there, there's just greater pomp and ceremony, isn't there, yeah. that we usually think of? Yeah. In England, the new monarch is crowned in Westminster Abbey. In a church. In a church and mm-hmm. crowned by the head of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. So there is a spiritual aspect to, at least in the UK, that coronation compared to an inauguration of a president. And the oath of office is given by the Chief Justice Justice of the Mm -hmm. Supreme Court. So listen to a couple of things. When uh, Queen Elizabeth II was crowned queen, there were a whole bunch of oaths that she swore to fulfill. But let me give you just two of them, because I think this is fascinating. She had to pledge uh, to these two things. Will you, to the utmost of your power, cause law and justice in mercy to be executed in all your judgments? And will you, to the utmost of your power, maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the gospel? Hmm. That's Christendom, right? I mean, that's within the context of, yeah. 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 Well, when you think about coronations and crowning of a monarch and so forth, that brings us shockingly, back to Psalm 47, (laughs) because we talked about the fact in our last conversation that there's an element of a salvation history psalm to Psalm 47 as they reflect on how in the past God had rescued them as a nation. Now in this next part, it takes on the characteristics of what are called enthronement psalms, where God the King is seen as seated upon the throne, ascending to and taking the throne of Israel. So I want us to look at this. And once again, you know, we're going to see if there's any New Year's stuff in here for us. But uh, (laughs) I want us to read this and keep in mind this element of enthronement. And as we did in the last program, I'd like for us to pick up again in verse 1 and read all the way through this time to verse 6. And Bill, again, you just mentioned God the King. That's the head turner, I think. Yeah. And that's the big idea of Psalm 47. And I think the big idea behind why it works for New Year's, but we'll save that for a few minutes. But you're exactly right, Mart. I think that is huge. So let's read verses one through six of Psalm 47. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King of all the earth. He subdued nations under his feet peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. Now, notice the key in my translation, that last phrase, sing praises to our King. King. Mm -hmm. Now, we talked about Salvation history psalms, now we're looking at an enthronement psalm. What are some other genre of psalms? We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but just so we can kind of get some bearings in the book of psalms itself. Well, a huge percentage of psalms are lament psalms, so drawing Mm -hmm. attention to what's wrong with the world and asking God to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And psalms of ascent, Yeah, Mm -hmm. traveling together up to Jerusalem for the feast. Yeah. That's Psalms 120 to 134. Mm -hmm. Any other specific ones that you can think of? 
Well, I'm thinking about Psalms of David, which actually contain a whole bunch of different psalms, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of different kinds. Mm-hmm. There are Hallel psalms, psalms that focus on the hallelujah, the praise the Lord approach. So there are a lot of different kinds of psalms in a sense, to use a, a more current term, or at least it was current the other day. I don't know if it still is or not, but this is kind of a mashup. Uh, it's a mashup of several different genre of psalms. Uh, because we saw the salvation history in our previous conversation, and now we're seeing an enthronement psalm where it's celebrating and worshiping God as king. And the key word is verse 5, and in my translation it says, God has ascended. We talked about coronations earlier. If you've ever watched a video of Queen Elizabeth II's coronation, there was a time where she literally ascended up steps to a platform where the throne was and then took her seat in that throne. That's the idea here. He is ascending to the throne to take his rightful place, and the people are acknowledging that with the phrase, sing praises to our king. Now, what's that have to do with New Year's? (laughs) And, you know, we're not just laying New Year's on here. You've talked to us about how this psalm is the one that is read at the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, which is the fall celebration, the Jewish civil New Year's, right? So we're not just laying New Year's on this psalm. No, and it's also read seven times before Mm -hmm. the trumpets blow to launch Rosh Hashanah. So Mm -hmm. in the mind of the Jewish rabbis, this is all about starting a new year together. So what do you think might have been something in there that could have elicited that kind of thought? I'm putting my ancient history hat on. I think there was a process of when a king came into a new territory and was basically like his rule was becoming the new rule for the area. There was a celebration of that rule that took place over seven days. And on the seventh day, it was called the king's rest. And that king The idea was that his rule and reign was now cemented throughout the whole region. And so I wonder if that's maybe part of the seven, the seven trumpets are kind of representing that. But the idea would be, as it relates to New Year's, a new beginning maybe, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a new king on the throne. And as a result, there's new implications for how the people are going to live, what kind of rule that they'll be under from that point forward. Or it might be the same king, but he's, remember, back on the throne (laughs) rather than we tend to take him off. I was picturing as you were talking, Daniel, thinking about that almost like a a reset button. (laughs) This is maybe a reset of, oh, yeah, is God the king? Okay, you're helping me now because it seemed like it was a portrayal of God's enthronement that was bringing God down somewhat rather than lifting him up. But when you talked about in the people's minds Mm -hmm. acknowledging him, maybe that's he was being lifted up in their minds. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things about enthronement Psalms too is they were often read when a new king was also put on the throne as a reminder that unlike all the other nations where the king is God, right, a son of the gods, In Israel, no, there is still the God, and this king is under that God. And so there was a very different message that was being communicated as well every time a new king was put on the throne. I think that's really good, Daniel. And I think that there's a scene in the Old Testament where this was kind of acted out. In Old Testament Israel, the Ark of the Covenant 
symbolize. It wasn't God, but it symbolized God's presence among his people. And when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, it was a symbolic gesture of God's presence among the people and his role as God among them, in a sense, reinstituted because the Ark had been gone for a while and now it's being brought back in. And as it's being brought back in, there was this tremendous celebration that took place as, in a sense, the Ark of the Covenant, symbolic of God, was going up. Hmm. Now, another interesting thing about this psalm is that in some liturgical churches, because of the word ascend, this psalm is read on Ascension Day (laughs) because Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father as our King. Mm When we think about Jesus being our king, that should fill us with the same sense of awe and wonder that the Jewish people should have felt when they thought about Jehovah as their king. Yeah. Now, when you think about this in terms of New Year, we keep trying to turn it back to that. In a previous conversation, we talked about why it's so hard to focus on the greatness of our God when we're in the midst of difficulty and problems. As Israel launches the new year, full of unknowns, full of uncertainties, full of question marks. I believe it was intended to give them confidence going into the new year because they were being reminded God is on the throne. Whatever the coming year brings, God is here. Mm -hmm. He is in charge. Our trust is in him. important reminder for them and an important reminder for us that no matter what is happening in the world or in our lives, God is on the throne and we can trust him. That's a significant perspective to always have, but especially at this time of year. Well, another year of studying the Bible together on Discover the Word is about in the books. It's been another enjoyable year for us studying with each other and with you. Thanks for being part of the Discover the Word group with Mark DeHaan and Lisa Morgan and Bill Crowder and Daniel Ryan Day and a new member that we added to the team just this last year who studies with us from time to time, Rasul Berry. In fact, Rasul will be part of our next podcast, the first one for 2022 called Growing Pains. And so what comes to your mind when you hear that term, Growing Pains? I think about my son who would often wake us up in the middle of the night saying, Dad, my legs hurt. I think of babies when they go and they're teething mm-hmm. and they're crying and, you know, you're trying to soothe them and go, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. <laughs> and I think sometimes we need to remember that spiritually too. Like yeah. it's, it's going to be okay. It won't always feel like this, but sometimes the stretching and the testing of our faith is mm-hmm. what we need in order to be more like Christ. This is actually what we're going to be talking about are these growing pains, really of faith. And we're going to spend some time in a section in the book of Acts where the very early church experienced growing pains. So we're heading into Acts chapter 6, and we're going to be looking specifically about how we can grow through pain. That's uplifting. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? Yeah, Lisa leads a study of Acts 6 called Growing Pains next time on the Discover the Word podcast. And now the conclusion of this New Year's study of Psalm 47 about the end and the beginning. Have you heard somebody say, you don't deserve this, 
or somebody say, this is exactly what you deserve. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you hear those two statements? Well, the first one I've heard people say at weddings, usually talking to the groom. <laughs> <laughs> you don't deserve her. You don't deserve. Aww. And they mean it in a kind of a joking way. Like she is way out of your league, bud. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting. We tend to diminish our value and lift up someone else's value. And there are times when something good happens to us and someone has said to me, oh, you just so deserve this. And I'm like, well, maybe, but I I really just feel grateful, not so much deserving, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's a way of putting it in its place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The other side of it is sometimes people will look at you and you say, you got exactly what you deserved, and yeah. it's not so nice, right? Yeah. <laughs> People are more likely to think that, aren't they, than to say it. <laughs> right. yeah. What does it mean? I'm almost hesitant to even ask it. What does it mean for God to get what he deserves? Hmm. Uh, it means something very different. Scripture makes it pretty clear he deserves glory and honor and majesty and worship and our allegiance and our love. And, you know, I could fill in the blanks probably all day long. And I think sometimes he deserves our questions. Mm -hmm. You know, if it doesn't make sense at all, if we just can't make it, it probably makes more sense to say, Lord, what are you doing? Hmm. Yeah. And maybe even a step further than that, Mart, sometimes I think God deserves our pushback a little bit. Hmm. Yes. And... I think that needs to come with some humility to know that he's God and has a different perspective than I do. But I think there are times in our lives where there is an invitation there to look at God and say, ah, or to push back in some ways. It's really kind of the picture of of Jacob, isn't it? Wrestling with God. There's there's that struggle there that became Mm -hmm. something of Israel's memory as a nation. They needed to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I think about Job and his many questions. I think about... Elijah, I'm the only one left. I just want to die. I think about all of those so very honest moments we see where God let people question him. Mm -hmm. Because when we are honest, we bring our honest worship, you know, rather than some kind of dressed up fake stuff. I love the way you guys have brought that forward. And it's layer upon layer upon layer. It makes our relationship and our worship much more authentic, much Mm. more real, deeper. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly where we want to focus in this final conversation. Uh, We're on the threshold of a new year, and we've been looking at approaching the new year through the lens of the Jewish Feast of Trumpets or Festival of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, Mm -hmm. the new year, the civil new year. What are some of the things we've seen so far in our previous conversations? Well, you kept talking about all the people were getting woke up in the morning by trumpets, and I just keep hearing that, thinking to myself, man, I hope that was later in the morning, because I, I don't know that I'd be ready to worship if somebody woke me up in the morning with a trumpet. It's an alarm clock going off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for an entire month, every morning, the trumpet would sound, and it was literally a wake-up call to people mm-hmm. to awake from their slumbers and to prepare their hearts for repentance, and then ultimately the Day of Atonement, when the nation would be brought back into rightness with God. Right, because we talked about how those festivals follow each other. So mm-hmm. Rosh Hashanah, the New Year's, then followed by the Day of Atonement. So, you know, we've been looking at, you know, as we close out a year and begin a new one, we often look back at what has happened, what God's allowed, how he's provided, and then we look forward and we're grateful for new starts, for mm-hmm. reset buttons, for hope. Mm-hmm. We're reminded, and that's one of the things 
the psalm does is of who God is and of his proper role in our lives and in the world, which is king overall. And lingering in my mind, though, is still that surprise that, uh, Bill, as you pointed out, that this psalm was chosen to be a part of that celebration of that anticipation. Yeah. I just never would have guessed that Psalm 47 would have been the yeah. psalm for a new year. It seems very unlikely, yeah. Yeah, and again, if you just read it on the surface level without really starting to really think it through or dig into it a little bit, it really does seem like out of 150 psalms, you pick this one. Yes. You know, I mean, it doesn't really seem to connect. But then when you start to unravel the threads of this, I think we're starting to see a picture of how this could prepare the people for the beginning of a new year and for the Day of Atonement. Yeah. Remember, they would read this seven times before the trumpet blew to <laughs> launch Rosh Hashanah. But still, verses 7, 8, and 9 the seventh time they hear it is going to be the last thing they hear before the trumpet sounds, mm. which I think is kind of a cool thing to focus on. So as we've done in each of our conversations, let's start all the way back at verse 1, and let's read all the way through to the end of the psalm in verse 9, and let's listen to what God deserves. Mm. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great king of all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord, amid the sounding of trumpets, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns above the nations, sitting on his holy throne. The rulers of the world have gathered together with the people of the God of Abraham. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. He is highly honored everywhere. When you hear that last phrase, Mark, would you read that again? Because I think that is exactly what our God deserves. For all the kings of the earth belong to God. He is highly honored everywhere everywhere. Yeah, it must be a now and not yet verse then, Bill, mm. because <laughs> you say that that's what he deserves, but I can't think of a verse that feels more not true right now mm-hmm. than than that verse. And yet it just, it nudges me, Daniel, that in the true perspective of how God really looks at it all, it is true. It's just, we mm. don't recognize it and we don't obey it and the kings don't all bow. But the reality is he's king overall. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think, how does that change how I live mm-hmm. when I face problems and when I don't? You know, can I step back and see this is the God? You know, okay, mm-hmm. but maybe I need to be honest, like we were talking about earlier. It sure doesn't look like it, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But maybe his honor is reflected everywhere in the trees, in the mountains, mm-hmm. in the you know, in the animals. And maybe his honor is reflected everywhere in a likeness of humanity. Hmm. Where in the world did we come from? Where did we get this ability to think and to choose and to to relate? There is honor there, yeah. but you're right. We just don't see it so often. Yeah. I think, Daniel, your comment really speaks to this is an already not yet mm-hmm. kind of thing. Even though the writer may have been singing out of the exuberance of 
God is king and we are his people and we're starting a new year and what better way to start it than with God as your king. There's also a sense of prophetic anticipation. Yeah. Looking forward to when all of the nations of the world will bow before the king of yeah. kings and lord of lords. There's a sense in which we look forward to the time when people of every tribe and tongue and nation will stand before the throne of God and will cry out in worship to him and will stand before the lamb and will sing his worthiness and his praises and his honor. Mm. I think that everything he's saying was true to his moment, but there's a much better moment to come Yeah, mm-hmm. that we look forward to because we get to be a part of that. We're part of the, all the peoples. We're part of all the nations. And we're part of those who have come to know this God through his son and look forward to that great day Mm. when he is highly exalted everywhere. And I don't know about you, but that's a whole lot better than New Year's Day to me. (laughs) It seems, Bill, that it's implied here that God is to be honored everywhere. He deserves to be honored everywhere. And wouldn't it be something if, if in our own lives this year became more of that kind of a of a new and a fresh year for us. Yeah, I think that's really good, Martin. One of the, I guess, things that's been kind of nagging at the back of my head is the stark contrast between the way Israel starts the new year and the way that we tend to. Because for us, it tends to be very focused on what I can do better, how I can improve, mm. you know, New Year's resolutions and things like that. But how much more freeing would it be to start the new year just recognizing whatever I face this year, God's on the throne. So as you launch into the new year, remember, there's a God who is on the throne. He is our king. And whatever we face in this coming year, he will face it with us. Yeah, God is on the throne. That's what Psalm 47 has taught us. And so no matter what we may face in this next year, We can trust that God is with us and that he is in control of all things and whatever comes, we'll be facing it with him. You've been listening to the Discover the Word podcast with Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And that study was called The End and the Beginning. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And you know, here at Our Daily Bread Ministries, we have a great team that makes Discover the Word work. You hear Mart and Elisa and Bill and Daniel and Rasul, but there are so many more who are on the team, like Barry and Bill and Diana and Dave and Marissa, an engineering team of John and Curtis and Jim and Gabrielle, distribution teammates like Bobby and Ann and Ryan, and there's transcription and correspondence associates like Candace and Peggy and Luann and Kathy and Jody and Toria, uh, Nicole and the team of folks she works with in marketing and publishing, Linda and Kim and their group who answer the phones. There's the team with Roger Kemp and his agency that work with radio stations. And of course, all of the radio station partners that air the broadcast version each day. I mean, the list really does go on and on. And so thanks to all those who are part of Discover the Word. Thankful for all of you and your part in the past and what's ahead of us in 2022.
Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Thank you.